Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwink. I'm Buster, only working from my home studio in New York. And Taylor, today, the last day of summer, and you know what that means. Playoff baseball around the corner? Right! The ball classic fall i love it you get up in the morning it's nice and cool you're thinking about playoff baseball but today the last day of summer so pretty uh pretty cool i'm getting excited what about you oh yeah i uh, i felt summer uh leaving us here this morning the air conditioning is broken in my house and it was downright chilly when i woke up with the windows open this morning the fans cranking i had to turn all the fans off so yep. I'm, I'm I had to put on a light jacket when I went out for a run this morning Cozy. at the beginning, or at least to walk out of the walk out of the house and you know and then toss it off before the run. But it's that time of year; it's perfect. Let's go! And we're also nearing the time of year when it feels like every day somebody's passing some benchmark, uh, hitting some big number because we're nearing the end of the regular season. And on Monday, that was Salvador Perez who went into that game uh, that the doubleheader that the Royals played against the Cleveland Indians. Tied for Johnny Bench for most homers in a season. This is what happened. Now the pitch and a breaking ball is hit high and deep. Left center field. That's way back and that ball is gone. Number 46 for Salvador Perez. And the Royals lead is 7-0. That from the Royals radio network. And think about that. All the catchers who played in baseball in the history of the sport, Salvador Perez, the most home runs in any single season. And you can bet he's going to be adding on to that uh, number by the end of the year. I, I kind of wonder if he's going to hit 50. That home run got a response from a Hall of Famer, greatest catcher ever. Johnny Bench tweeted, as Yogi said, I knew my record would stand until it was broken. Congrats. Great guy. Great catcher. Really nice gesture by Johnny Bench. I've talked about in the past. He's as present day current in his knowledge of players as any ex-player that I've ever seen. The White Sox lost to Detroit 4-3 and after the game, Tony La Russa spoke with concern about left-hander Carlos Rodon. We're all encouraged through ball well in the third. Uh, you know, he lost command. He was struggling. Uh, actually fortunate to get with three runs, came back in, said he wasn't right. So soreness, and uh, so we're concerned. Yeah, it's a concern. The White Sox, of course, the key is just to keep healthy going into the postseason. They've had all kinds of injury issues with their rotation in recent weeks. Rodon threw 69 pitches over three innings, giving up three runs in the thirds with a lot of his stuff not nearly as sharp. The Yankees involved in that three-way uh, three-way uh, wild card race for two spots. They faced the Rangers, and Gary Sanchez got them going. That one's drilled deep to left field. Into the seats, a home run for Sanchez, 1-0 Yanks. Michael K. on the Yes Network, the Yankees would go on and win 4-3. The Rays and the Jays, and in the bottom of the fifth inning, Toronto led 2-0, and then this happened. 1-2 to the leadoff man, Yandy Diaz. Swing a high fly ball, goes to deep to left field, way back toward the track, to the wall, gone! the streak and the Rays have the lead of three to two and Tampa Bay would go on and win six to four beyond the standings there were some postseason implications in this game that we'll be talking about with Sarah Langs coming up 
First Pitch is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back. So are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. By the way, in that Yankee game, uh, before that, Luis Severino was activated by the Yankees. Manager Aaron Boone says he plans to use the two-time All-Star out of the bullpen. The Yankees began the day a game and a half behind Toronto with a second American League wildcard spot, but picked up a game because of the results of last night. The Reds, the Pirates, and Joey Votto came through for Cincinnati. And Votto swings, sends a high drive, deep right field. Back is Sutsugo, gone, tie game. Second home of the game for Joey Votto. Cincinnati wins that game 9-5. to The Cardinals trying to close in on the second wild card spot in the National League. And Nolan Arenado jump-started St. Louis in the top of the first. And Nolan hits it a ton. Into deep left. It is gone! 2-0 Cardinals. RBIs number 100 and 101. And he does it in style. Two zip St. Louis. We talking benchmarks? Yeah, Nolan Arenado, 100th RBI for the season. John Lester, his 200th career win. We're going to be talking about Sarah Lanks coming up, about whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. And St. Louis, nine straight victories for the first time since 2004. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, I'll say it once. I'll say it again. I'll say it about 10 times total. 30 for 30s, Once Upon a Time in Queens is now available to stream on ESPN Plus and on the ESPN app. Obviously, that is about the 1986 New York Mets who won the World Series. We talked a lot about that last week in the crease is ESPN's new NHL podcast. Check that out wherever you get your podcast. Media days for, for the league were last week. For the teams, they are next week, so hockey is on the horizon. And if hockey is not your bag, we've got you covered with football, organized chaos, ESPN's newest podcast hosted by Rex Ryan and Bart Scott every Monday. It's a great listen. Check it out wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash buster just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash buster terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites that's why you get to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus 
It treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? Good. I'm coming in with 98 miles an hour. First question, John Lester, is he a Hall of Famer? I don't quite think so. I, I want to acknowledge John Lester has had a fantastic career. I mean, we've been so lucky to have him in the game for so long. But I think that when you look at a guy's peak and you look at, you know, just those absolute best years, I just think he falls a little bit short. I mean, you know, you can look on baseball reference, Jay Jaffe's uh, war uh, predictions, which are related to his Hall of Fame research or uh, seven year peak war. So just kind of your absolute best seasons and his uh, jaw score, which is that Jaffe metric is thirty nine point five. The average of Hall of Fame starting pitchers is sixty one point seven. And even if we're looking at slightly more modern Hall of Famers who maybe had fewer wins in addition to everything else, you're still talking about 40s to 45 plus. And, you know, seven year peak war was 34.5. I mean, a guy like Scherzer or Granke are already well into 45 plus around there. So great pitcher. He has no hitter, three World Series. I mean, I think if anything is going to get him more consideration when he is on the ballot, it will be those things which aren't necessarily quantifiable in just something like war, but outstanding career, but I'm, I'm not sure quite there. I think he's going to get in eventually. Like we, we've been talking, you and I talked last week about, uh, you know, uh, Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw. It was it two weeks ago. Um, you know, Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera should be unanimous selections. John Lester's not close to being that guy, but I think eventually gets into the Hall of Fame because the postseason numbers, which are daunting for him, uh, 26 games, a 2.51 ERA. Um, and remember in 2007, he had that, uh, you know, after battling cancer, uh, had that amazing performance in the world series, uh, five and two thirds innings. He pitched in one of those games. And then 2013, he and David Ross, uh, combining, you know, David Ross catching him and, and John Lester being the leader of the team that, uh, won the world series. And the fact is, I think that if you're on the 2016 Cubs, as John Lester was, that's going to be a little chip uh, in, in the column, which is why, you know, whether it's toward the end of his uh, uh, eligibility for the Hall of Fame or maybe with a special committee, I think eventually John makes a speech in Cooperstown. I, that's a great point. I mean, you know, again, everything I was talking about was regular season, but that uh, that postseason performance just across the board that he's had. Again, I mentioned the three World Series titles and you know, we, we've seen those kinds of things certainly help a guy. I do agree that that's sort of a latter part of the eligibility or a veterans committee, you know, today's game era committee type of uh, election. But he'll get a lot of consideration for those numbers for sure. And, and well warranted. I mean, that 2016 and 2013, I mean, those were outstanding runs for sure. By the way, I don't know if you noticed in Sunday Night Baseball, I did uh, an interview which you ran the podcast yesterday with JT Real Muto. Uh, and I, 
you know, mentioned to him before we started the interview, I, I said, look, I, I, and I tell you right now that when Yadier Molina comes up for Hall of Fame election, the players' voices are going to be incredibly important in that conversation because I think if you just look at the analytics and the offensive numbers, you know that you know he doesn't separate himself from the field. And the players are the ones with the understanding of how unique it is to have a catcher as great as Molina. And when I started describing this to JT, he was kind of blinking at me like, what? Like, is that even a question? <laughs> and, he, and he, you know, said that in his answer as much. Uh, it feels like that, you know, the players are going to drive that because they're the ones who are going to best uh, describe the impact of having a shutdown catcher the way he was. Absolutely. And so much with Yadier Molina, I think, is sort of intangible. I mean, we know he's been great. We know he's still behind the plate at this age. Most guys aren't. And a lot of that is something that we can quantify and we see as impressive. But a lot of it is everything that we hear about him on that team and what he's done for so many pitchers for so long. And, I, you know, I think I saw a quote from uh, Buster Posey the other day, just marveling at Yadier Molina and Posey has had his own Hall of Fame case, you know, restarted uh, and being talked about a lot more this year with the great season that he's had. And he's also kind of on that border. He has, you know, similar postseason accolades. He has the MVP and so on and so forth. But it was amazing to see Buster Posey, who is outstanding in his own right, marveling at what Yadier Molina is doing at this age. But I definitely agree that I think that players are kind of the best uh, representatives to really explain how amazing what Yadier Molina has done is. All right. When you send me possible topics, uh, one of those is the question of is 200 career wins for pitchers becoming the new 300? Because as you know, for years and years, you know, when a, somebody like Jim Cott would pop up and I think he had like what, 287 wins or 282, something in the two eighties, um, and the argument against him being a Hall of Famer was, well, he didn't hit 300 wins. And that was a benchmark. And obviously, with the way that starting pitchers are used uh, being so different, uh, you know, two times through the order, guys are being taken out. Uh, we, we think of a workhorse as being a guy who pitches into the seventh inning now versus actually getting a complete game. So is 200 the new 300? I really think that it is. So we haven't had anyone win 300 since Randy Johnson in 2009. And there's actually only four pitchers who even debuted since the mound was lowered in 1969, who got to 300. So I think we've been getting there. And obviously pitcher usage and everything that we see these days has really sped this up. But if you look at 200, we're not going to see that many guys win 200 moving forward. So Lester joined last night. Max Scherzer is pretty close. He's at 190. He'll get there probably early next season. Clayton Kershaw also pretty close. And Adam Wainwright, who said he's going to pitch one more season, has an outside shot. He's at 183. After that, we're probably not going to see anybody get there until Garrett Cole. And he has 116 wins right now. So we're talking five or six years down the line. Wow. And that's assuming full health. And after that, I mean, you can go through the active uh, wins leaders right now. And I'm not sure who's going to get there after Garrett Cole. I'm not sure that we can really look at anybody who we know is super reliable. There are great young pitchers for sure, but it's really hard to project something like that. And it requires so much. You need to be on a pretty good team at some point because you need to be on a team that's going to win some games. And of course, you have to be good enough to be in there in that fifth inning even. 
you probably have to be on the team that's going to trust you to go deep enough into the games. There's just so much. So I really think that, I mean, we're going to go a handful of years after Wainwright, Kershaw and Max before we see another Garrett Cole will get there. And then I have no idea. So I think 200 is pretty close to becoming that sort of vaunted number because these guys are absolutely not going to get to 300 and 200 seems pretty difficult to reach at this point. So it seems like we ask the question all the time, how are the Rays doing it? And I you know, watched their game last night and there was another example of how they are doing it. And that is Shane Boz. <laughs> okay. Shane Boz, uh, for those uh, fans who don't remember, uh, he was the third player that they got in the trade of Chris Archer to the Pittsburgh Pirates. The first, they got Tyler Glass now, which right off the bat, Glass now for Archer is a win for the Rays. They also got Austin Meadows. And here's the third player, Saint Shane Boz, who the Rays kept in the minor leagues. He is fully developed. He was at the Olympics. Uh, he's someone who looks uh, like right away, if you were to put him on most teams, he would be a number, number, or number one or number two starter. He's not brought up to the, to the big leagues by the Rays until the middle of September. And watching that, Sarah, last night, you're like, yep, this guy's going to be a factor in October. Absolutely dominant stuff. Totally. I mean, I love, you know, you mentioned the third player. He was the player to be named later. The trade happened <laughs> on like a July 29th, somewhere around that. And he was sent on August 14th. So not just, oh, that throw in, but the throw in two weeks later. I mean, and he was a former first round pick. He hadn't pitched very well in the minors to that point for the Pirates. So, you know, I'm not sure if there was something with his mechanics or something else that they had kind of soured on, but a player to be named later. The Rays actually had a pretty great tweet uh, just saying player to be named later. What what a great debut, something like that. They Their Twitter certainly uh, pokes fun at some of these things they've had with the Pirates over the years with this trade. But what an outstanding debut. I mean, he didn't walk anybody. I, I tend to look at that for a guy pitching the majors for the first time. Are you able to command and control the ball enough that you don't walk anybody? And by the way, facing the second best or best offense in the majors right now, depending on exactly what you're looking at. I mean, the Blue Jays are second in weighted runs created plus, but they've been tearing the cover off the ball for the last month and a half at this point and absolutely throughout all of September. And that's what he was facing and no problem. And I thought he was really great. I mean, you know, threw pretty hard max out 99.5, which shows up as a hundred on the TV screen, which is pretty fun. You know, 196 ERA and AAA before his call up. So he was absolutely ready, as you were saying, and uh, just really, really great. And this is what the Rays do. This is exactly what the Rays do. They bring guys up like this in the middle of September, and he's you know he's going to be a huge factor in October, like you were yeah. saying. Yeah, and a absolutely finished product. Um, I thought at the end of July that uh, there was a, a, a you could make an, a really strong case that the White Sox were the best team in the American League, and they're going to be really dangerous. But the key question down the stretch was whether or not they can stay healthy. And Sarah, they just keep having these injuries pop up, up with their rotation. And, you know, in the end, Lance Lynn may be fine and, and he'll be OK. And maybe Lucas Giolito will be OK. Carlos Rodon, after last night, I think it's pretty clear there are major concerns about him. And the White Sox just keep on having these situations pop up. They really do. And it's funny because, 
you know, when uh, Luis Robert came back and then Elo Jimenez came back, we were talking about how the White Sox were getting healthy at the right time. I think we had that exact conversation right here about how this was the perfect time to be getting these guys back. They would be pretty well rested because they've been injured, everything else. And instead, it's been this pitching. And you really start to wonder, I mean, you know, they're tied for the third best in weighted runs created plus as an offense. We, we know the offense is there, but without the pitching, I mean, this is a team where Dylan Cease is going to end up leading them in starts based on the fact that Giolito has been hurt and uh, Rodon has missed time. Lance Lynn, I mean, there was a time when it seemed like Rodon or Lance Lynn might be competing with each other for an American League Cy Young. But because of the time that they've missed, that's ended up not being the case. They're not going to have enough innings to be in that conversation. So, you know, it, I really hope that they can get it together because again, when this team is firing on all cylinders, I think they're as fun as the Blue Jays can be, especially offensively. But you do have to wonder about the pitching and it's just fascinating for a team where depth seemed to be their biggest strength for most of the year. And all of a sudden, a lot of guys are breaking down at the same time. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see uh, what kind of condition they're going to be in once the postseason starts. Last one for you. We got this Bleacher tweet. You're a lot better, more qualified to answer this than I am. Uh, Jerry at Blues Cards Tiger uh, writes in, Hey, Buster, or, hey, Sarah, it should be. The Orioles and Diamondbacks have already lost 100. Rangers and Pirates seem headed that way. What is the most teams in any season to lose 100 games? This seems like a lot. It is a lot. So four would be tied for the most. So in 2002 and in 2019, we had four teams lose 100 games. And, you know, the flip side of that I want to look into was four teams winning or the most teams to win 100 games. We're probably not going to get there because as of now, with how the Brewers have played and how the Rays have played, probably it's just going to be the Giants and Dodgers. But the most 100 win teams is four which was in 2019. I mentioned that because that's kind of related to the 400 loss teams that we also had in 2019. So uh, yeah, four would tie the record. So uh, good, good thought by Jerry. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. 
George Will is a longtime columnist and the author of the collection of essays contained within the new book, American Happiness and Discontent, The Unruly Torrent, 2008-2020. And within that, uh, there are a handful of pieces uh, about baseball, which is no surprise anyone to anyone who follows your work, George, because your interest in the sport is well established. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I, I've, this is my 16th book, and Men at Work may have sold more than the other 15 combined. <laughs> which is a sign of national health. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to ask you about that because uh, one of the key figures in that was Tony La Russa. Uh, but we'll start with this. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit before we got started. Uh, generally speaking, what is your sense of the state of health of the game of Major League Baseball? The competition for the attention of the sports fan and the sports dollar is intense and getting more so, and baseball is not able to compete in its current manners. Uh, when I was young, uh, baseball had the undivided attention of the country from April until Ohio State played Michigan. Today, there are seven weeks between the last NBA championship game and the first NFL preseason game. So you'd better have action. When the pandemic shut down sports, I being a sports fan, did, did my best to stay alive. And then Bundesliga started in Germany in the soccer, then the Premier League in England, then the NBA bubbled, and all in a short span in the summer of 2020. And I came away thinking, this is better entertainment than baseball has become. It's not the length of the game, although the, the games, we, we've added 45 minutes to the length of a game without adding much action. It's the pace of play that has to change. Now, I know all the problems about baseball being overwhelmed by the velocity of, of pitchers now. But the game of the 3-2 outcome, strikeout, walk, home run, is boring. When you have the ball put in play once every four minutes, when you have these stupendous athletes like Arenado and Baez and Lindor, and they're not catching the ball. I mean, baseball players spend a lot more time with leather on their hands than with wood in their hands. And we ought to see them see their athleticism on defense. Uh, if I've got Tom Verducci's numbers right in the, in the most watched game of 2020, the last game of the World Series, the ball was put in play an average of once every six minutes. In the last 25 minutes, it was put in play twice. Uh, watch, and by the way, there were 54 outs in that game, exactly half, 27 were strikeouts. Watching guys walk to and from the plate is not exciting, particularly for younger people whose brains are wired to their screens and they're used to uh, digital stimulation at all times. So something has to change. I, I'm for experimenting with every one of the rules they're talking about, banning the shifts, uh, robo-umpires, runner on second. I mean, if you will the end, the end that I will is more action, the runner on second base is an instant rally. Uh, so we, we, we're going to have to consider all of these things because young people are just not saying, take me out to the ball game. I couldn't agree with you more. I always reference my focus group of one, my 17-year-old son, who's sports crazy, and he follows baseball results, but he doesn't watch games because he thinks they move too slowly. Um, I, I, you know, It's fascinating to, to hear you basically say you're open to everything, one of the things that I feel like absolutely has to happen is they have to restore the preeminence of starting pitchers, uh, not only for uh, uh, for the sake of helping the offense, because if you were to do something like uh, limit managers to say at the outset of every nine inning game, 
four or five pitchers with exceptions, obviously for injuries and blowouts, then that would force managers potentially keep starting pitchers in the game longer, maybe a little bit more vulnerable, more uh, balls are put in play, uh, but also as a product, I've always thought of the starting pitchers as being, you know, the Hulk Hogan's they're the big names of the sport, the Gibson's versus the Koufax and this endless parade of relievers. I just don't think people will watch that. What do you think? Well, it used to be to say, oh, my goodness, it's Koufax against Marichal. Let's watch this. Uh, well, we don't do that. Gibson against Seaver. I mean, th- that was destination television, as they say, and it's and it's gone. Uh, the only the only guy, I guess, who I, I would actually stop and turn on the television for is, is uh, Scherzer, and he's 37. So, no, I agree with you. I don't know what we do about it, but the, the idea – Get someone sh- should uh, flog whoever invented the quality start statistic. Uh, I mean, imagine imagine telling Warren Spawn he'd done a quality start. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about uh, the, the, I mentioned men at work. Uh, Tony LaRusso has come back to managing. He was one of the key figures in that book. What's it like for you to watch him? Well, I love it. Uh, when uh, the, the White Sox fired their previous manager, my phone instantly lit up and I instantly texted him. I said, Tony, get back in uniform. The White Sox are good and catch John McGraw. He instantly texted back, will you be my bench manager? I said, yes, yeah, 6,000 columns is enough bench coach. I said, 6,000 columns is enough. I'll do it. And then the scoundrel betrayed me and picked another bench coach. But still, I loved it when they said, well, he's too old. Well, I'm older than he is, so I kind of resent that. He's younger than the president, so so there. And besides, they said, can he handle these high-spirited young players? This is a guy who managed Conseco, Ricky Henderson, Dave Henderson. I think he can do this. And I think the, the proof is in the pudding, and the pudding looks pretty good atop the American League Central. And I wouldn't be surprised if this winter we hear more about experienced managers, maybe with the Mets, uh, Buck Walter, maybe Bruce Bochy with the San Diego Padres, Ron Washington, you know, maybe he gets another chance because it feels like it's beginning to cycle back uh, the other way a little bit. What's it like for you? What was it like for you at the trade deadline to see what the Cubs did? Well, uh, I'm hoping the Cubs get one or two of those guys back in the offseason, but it was hard, actually. Uh, it's quite a fall from 2016. Uh, I mean, to wait 108 years and have the glow dissipate so fast. I guess the Cubs win the World Series with metronomic regularity every 108 years, which I think brings us to 2124, uh, which I don't think I'll be here to see. <laughs> uh, one of the, you know, the I think one of the, the, the teams that was most valued by its fan base in the last 100 years is subject of a recent documentary, the 1986 Mets. And part of the conversation around that team is always, boy, it was a phenomenal team, but should it have accomplished more? Do you engage in that with the 2016 Cubs? It's a question that's been asked of Chris Bryant and others since they left. Yeah, I think so. I I don't see why uh, they had that young core, uh, particularly Baez, Rizzo, and and Bryant. Uh, Of course, it all comes down to pitching, and the the core was was not the – essence of that team was not in the pitching. They had a rental and Chapman and all that, but uh, sure. 
Uh, with regard to the, you know, one of my games I play with myself in the dead of night is all should have been teams. And my should have been teams, Dick Allen, Daryl Strawberry, Doc Gooden, Pete Reeser, if you will. I mean, all kinds of guys who just should have done more. Uh, although I think Dick Allen's got a solid case already for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Herb Score would be in that, you know, Herb having uh, greatness at the beginning of his career, uh, yeah. you know, closed off. I have talked a lot this year about the Orioles. I find the whole practice of tanking to be despicable. It's one of the things that I hope in the next CBA has changed. Uh, I know it's a strategy that worked for the Houston Astros, but the idea that you design a team for failure, uh, if you cut your payroll down, I think that uh, when you look at the Orioles payroll, if you take away Chris Davis's deal, which is most of which is covered by insurance, they're basically spending on their major league roster about what the Yankees are paying Garrett Cole. So yep. big surprise, they're going to become the first team, it looks like, uh, in baseball history to lose 108 uh, at least 108 games in three consecutive seasons. And having covered the Orioles for the Baltimore Sun, I'm really worried about that franchise, even if the team returns to respectability within the next decade. I know you, you know, I remember when Camden Yards opened, seeing lots of pictures of you at that ballpark. Uh, what about you? You're closer to it than I am. Well, I, th- I think uh, since the Baltimore riots after the Freddie, Freddie Gray death, uh, a lot of people do not want to go down to downtown Baltimore at night. Maybe they've watched the wire too often, but uh, the inner harbor itself isn't what it used to be. I think the city itself has problems. But beyond that, uh, I think the new collective bargaining agreement may include a floor forcing up pay scales of some of these other teams. But baseball has a problem with some teams. I was on the Commission on Baseball Economics. Me, Paul Volcker, former Senator George Mitchell, and Rick Levin, who's an economist who was then president of Yale. And we went all through this stuff. And our report became basically the owner's collective bargaining position in, 20, uh, in uh, 2002. And what we found was that uh, there were revenue disparities, particularly in local broadcast revenues, that had to be compensated for. And I think we need to revisit that now. Uh, Baseball needs to be competitive in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and Kansas City. On the other hand, Milwaukee's the smallest market. They're doing just fine. And Tampa, I don't know how they do it with smoke and mirrors, but they do it all the time. Uh, With regard to tanking, uh, Buck Showalter, who would be my choice for manager of any team at any time, uh, Buck Showalter says, you got a five-year plan? Great. I'll see you in four years. I'm not going to pay uh, triple uh, major league prices for triple a baseball. And uh, I understand that completely. What's your sense of, of where things are as we head to the expiration of the current collective bargaining agreement uh, in terms of uh, how that's going to play out and, and how much significant change will be uh, on the, on the table thereafter. Cause I feel like the game in 2022 is going to be so much different than what we saw this year. Well, I, I, I wish I thought you were right. I don't think I'm doubtful about that. As you as you know, there's no industry in the world so thoroughly governed by the union. Everything is a collective bargaining issue in baseball, and uh, to get the players to uh, to agree to changes in rules or even in in the financial structure is terribly difficult. The uh, 
there's a lot of complaining among the owners that Scott Boris runs the union. Uh, that the, there's a bulldog lawyer uh, sitting next this time, sitting next to Tony Clark, the former players, head of the Players Association. The owners I've talked to seem reasonably optimistic. I have a feeling that uh, spring training will not start on time, and I have a feeling this is just my gloominess from past baseball experience. I doubt that the season will start on time. And again, uh, baseball does not have a secure hold on the country that it once had. So a work stoppage this time around would be uh, as devastating as the 1994-95 stoppage that cost us the World Series. If Mr. Scherzer uh, invited you into a Zoom call or a meeting with the leaders of the Player Association, what advice would you give them going into this CBA? Uh, first of all, to, I'd urge the players to work out their class struggle that they have. They got 95% of the players are not uh, perhaps benefiting as much as they should have from the Hollywoodization of the pay scale. Of uh, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is a bankable star. Everyone else is not. Uh, so I'd have them work out their own disagreements. Then I'd, I'd urge them to say that they have the biggest stake of all in increasing the number of people in the stands and increasing the number of people who watch more than 50 minutes of a baseball telecast. An awful lot of baseball viewers watch 50 minutes and go away because there's just not enough action. Uh, the ball has to be put in play more. We have, as I said earlier in our conversation, that the athleticism of these great, stupendous players has to be on, 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 on display. And the idea that we can go on like this is, is wrong. Economically, I don't think the owners want very much. I think it's up to the players to say, what is it you want? But the owners, rightly or wrongly, are reasonably satisfied with the current system economically. Uh, but uh, I, I think there was a time when Don Fear and Gene Orza ran the Players Association. They resisted the idea of a floor that is a mandatory minimum of spending because they thought it implied a ceiling, a cap. Well, we've got a, a somewhat porous cap, but we it, it's essentially there's a cap in baseball because the competitive balance tax gets so severe after after three consecutive uh, violations of it, what's it up to 50%? That's a serious tax. Uh, and some teams that could afford to pay it use the existence of the ceiling as a as an excuse for not going over it. Uh, so uh, I would urge the players to concentrate a little bit less on the redistribution of the of the income and more on looking to the game's future by growing new fans. And along the lines of what you talked about, the Yankees payroll this year under 210 million is about where it was in 2002-2003. Uh, now, flip it on the other way. If you were to speak to the lead negotiating committee for the owners, what would you tell them? What advice would you give them? To figure out a way to make Pittsburgh and Oakland. I got solve Oakland and solve Tampa. I mean, how can it take this long to figure out what to do if the problem in Tampa is paying off the the uh, the the what do they call it now? Tropicana, Tropicana Field, yeah. Then pay it, uh, get it over with. 
cauterize these wounds. There are cities out there ready for Major League Baseball. Montreal's one, Nashville's probably another. Uh, let's move a little more dispatch. But most of all, uh, people should not have to count on more than three hours uh, invested in a baseball game. Just shouldn't. I totally agree with you. George, I always love talking with you. It was great fun. I, I could talk baseball all day. Unfortunately, I have a day job and I have to talk about that other stuff. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Tuesday. Eric E. at Esoteric Eric Zero writes in, Hey, Buster, if you were a GM in today's game, would you rather have a gold glove center fielder or a gold glove shortstop on your team? And that question prompted David at Baseball Fan 1918 to follow up asking, I was thinking about this the other day, too, with all the shifts and players playing out of position. Will the higher value for shortstop and center field be diminished and hurt free agent value? I think it's tougher to find an elite defensive shortstop uh, than it is a, an elite defensive center fielder. And one thing to keep in mind about the shifts as we move forward, I, look, I don't, I don't know exactly what changes we're going to see in baseball in 2022, but I think on-field changes are going to be significant. Uh, and one of them might be some sort of regulation against shifts. You know, we talked about how that phrase spikes in the dirt uh, could be in play where they tell the infielders, look, you have to stay uh, generally, you know, if you're a shortstop, a third baseman, you can stay on the left side of second base. If you're a, a second baseman, a first baseman, you're going to stay on the right side of first base. And so that will only underscore uh, the value of, of excellent shortstops. I've had managers in recent years you know, tell me about their shortstop, but they perceive to be a mediocre defender. And they feel like, to your point, uh, David, that you can hide a, a defensive shortstop who's, who's not that great. But moving forward without shifts, it's going to be a lot more difficult to do that. Interesting stuff. Good question, guys. Let's go to Sam Rip at Sam Rip 13. Sam writes in, if Shohei Otani is the MVP this year because he pitches and hits, does that mean he has to be every year since he can do something no one else does? That seems like your reason for him over Vlad this year. I don't think that is your sole reason. Uh, no. And I think we're tired of this discussion generally. We perpetuated that as well. But uh, Sam does raise an interesting point. Well, I'd say this. I mean, you know, Michael Lorenzen has pitched and hit for the Reds for in recent years, and no one's touting him for MVP, right? <laughs> what we're talking about is Shohei Otani being a top 10 offensive player and being a top 10 pitcher at the same time. Just because they merely pitched and hit in the same year, that doesn't mean that, yes, that that, that guy's automatically uh, more valuable. It's just that Otani's one of the best starting pitchers in the American League, and he's one of the best hitters in the American League. And you add that up, that's a pretty damn good season. Indeed. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. You know, one thing before I before I move on, I just want to say it's, it's getting increasingly hard to talk about the American League MVP to some degree until I don't know if you agree with me. Because you don't want to sound like you're banging on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. No. Like he's not worthy. It's not a question of him not being a great at what he does. He's the best hitter in the American League this year. It's just that the other guy <laughs> happens to be doing something we've never seen before. Yeah, yeah. He's a Choi Hotani's the second best hitter in the American League. And like you said, top 10 uh, quarterback and all pro middle linebacker. Like, can't beat it. 
I mean, it's on. It's yeah. sad for Vladdy, and uh, maybe maybe we'll award him in our award show, uh, or we award him and Salvador Perez something nice for not winning an MVP. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. Well, he'll get a silver slugger for sure, and he's going to finish second for MVP. I think we'll see if the you know if some writers uh, you know have some recency bias because Vlad's been so amazing down the stretch. That's it for today. I mean, thanks to George, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight Podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.